G'day, Kate from Narriott Church here. This week we celebrate Easter. Adam shares with us an intriguing and unique story with a little help from a live goat and a high priest. He powerfully reminds us all of God's incredible grace and love extended to us through the gift of salvation. Happy Easter. Uh, I'm just going to say this first thing and then we'll circle back to it. This morning is either going to be a really unique experience or a freak show. Hoping for the first one, but either way, I think you'll have fun. Uh, listen, if you're here and you're a guest, and uh, welcome. We're, we're thrilled that you're here. And if I could just say on the front end, I, we recognize that for some of you, you're here out of tradition. You're here because they're here. You're here out of respect to your parents or a friend or whatever. Or maybe you're just here and uh, you're here because you used to believe and, and you're intrigued by doing so again. Or you're here because uh, you'd like to believe, but you just can't right now. I, I just feel it's valuable to say on the front end, like we, we, we embrace that with you. Uh, we, we don't have any desire to manipulate you or coerce you. Certainly, we are centered around believing, but I think it's also really important that we say just that. Like, we, we believe. We don't know. We, we, we believe. And so it is our privilege to, to join with you as you kind of wrestle through some of those very important questions yourself. And then for others of you, uh, you're here because you do believe. And it is our privilege to get to worship with you, whether this is home for you or you're visiting here for the first time uh, this morning. Welcome. Uh, for, for some of you, too, I recognize that for some of you, this is your first Easter as a follower of Jesus. And it is such a privilege uh, to get to be a part of an Easter service with you. So let me just kind of warn you what's going to happen this morning is, is we're going to take a direction that I think will illuminate the cross and the tomb in some unique and hopefully powerful ways for you. But you're going to spend about the first 20 minutes going, what the heck are we doing? So I'm just going to ask you to trust me, okay? Because we're going somewhere, though uh, you you may have never been on this journey before, okay? Deal? How how can you, I mean, you either get up or leave when I'm looking at my feet or you agree, right? (laughs) So this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about the Jewish Day of Atonement, uh, what the Jews would call Yom Kippur. And really what we're going to do is, see, the Jewish religious calendar, it had seven feasts, and you could say that it started with the first fall feast, which was called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, that was not a music festival at the Gorge or anything like that. What the Feast of Trumpets did is it initiated or it inaugurated what were called the Ten Days of Awe. See, in the Jewish mind, uh, you, you wanted to start the new year right with God. In the Jewish mind, you, you wanted to start the new year uh, having been cleansed, ha- having, been, having dealt with your brokenness. And so the Feast of Trumpets kicked into gear these 10 days of awe. And what happened during the 10 days of awe was hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of people would have made the journey from their home throughout Israel, which wasn't a gigantic country. But still, uh, if you're coming from the Galilee, it would have taken you four or five days. A couple hundred, a few hundred thousand people would have made the way to Jerusalem. And the the 10 days of awe were about about self-denial. They were about fasting. They were about sacrifice. They were about intense introspection or what we would call soul searching in our day. They were about finally dealing with those emotions you have when you wake up first thing in the morning of like, oh, I did it again. I'm still not a perfect parent. I'm still not a perfect father. I'm still not a perfect leader. I'm still not a perfect friend. These 10 days of awe are about dealing with those, about having your awareness of them heightened, about saying to God, God, what's wrong? What's broken? What can I see? About saying to God, what, what can I see? These 10 days were an anticipation of the God of mercy and grace. And after the 10 days were complete, that led up to then the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement, some would argue, that that was the culmination of the entire Jewish religious calendar, the entire system. And the Day of Atonement centers around a high priest 
and a bunch of animals. So what we need is a high priest, which we happen to have. (laughs) Now, remember, uh, what the Day of Atonement involves is you, as a Jewish person, your entire hope was on this guy's ability to go to God on your behalf. The entire system worked around one man, one person, getting to go to God on your behalf. The reason he had bells around the the bottom of his whatever that thing is called is because you would not want to possibly defile him because this is your one hope of someone that can go before God. In other festivals or in other practices, they would tie a rope around his foot when he went into the holiest of holies because that place was so holy, so consecrated, so completely other, there's only one guy who could possibly venture into there and therefore if he died in there, the only hope you had of retrieving his carcass was to pull it out by a rope. So we're talking about a pretty serious thing. Let, let me jump into Leviticus 16. I know some of you are reading there in your quiet times, your chicken soup for the soul this morning, but I'm going to jump in there anyway. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. Now, this is going to speak of Aaron, Aaron synonymous with the high priest because the first high priest was Aaron, Moses' brother. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. The high priest is the only one in the Bible whose underwear are referred to as holy, or at least for whom his hands had to be holy. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now again, your entire hope of forgiveness, of being cleansed, rested upon this guy. So you better hope he had his stuff together. You better hope he had sacred underwear on because it all counted. Now you got to picture the scene here. You, 15 days ago, you left home in the Galilee. You've been journeying, you journeyed to the south. You've been gathered in Jerusalem. For 10 days, you've denied yourselves all kinds of pleasures all kinds of things that you would otherwise enjoy on a daily basis. For 10 days, you've said, God, would you please come point out my brokenness? Would you please come deal with my brokenness? So, you, so you're a couple weeks into this. Now, some, some historians, uh, they, they have good reason to say that, that, that there were at least 200,000 people that would gather on the Temple Mount by the time of Jesus' day. So, you know, a, a Crimson Tide football game, the largest football, college football stadiums can't even touch it. 200,000 people. And now one guy appears, and your entire hope is that he is pure enough to go before God on, his, on your behalf. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. So he goes through a whole series of rituals in order to make sure that he could go before God on your behalf. Then, then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, flipping a coin. That's, that's the equivalent. One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. So again, get the scene. 200,000 people, 10 days of awe. You, you've been away from home for a couple weeks. The high priest finally appears. And the culmination of this entire experience for you is that now he's presented with another goat. Listen to this, verse 10. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So, what we we need is a goat. Because when you see the goat and the priest interact together, I think this picture will start to come together. So we've we've got a a goat 
who is somewhat hesitant, you might say, <laughs> though cute nonetheless. Her name's Bella. I was told before this gathering that if she lifts her leg, game is over. So I just said we would enjoy that. Tail, sorry, not leg, tail. So keep the tail down, Bella. Okay, so what we have to think here is Eastern mind versus Western mind. Eyes on the preacher. The Eastern mind thinks in pictures, it thinks in metaphors. The Western mind, your mind, our mind, we go to school, we learn words, we learn, we, we learn definitions, we think systematically. If God said to you, uh, God, if someone said to you, God is forgiving, here's four reasons why, da, 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 and they, they put a tract on your windshield, right? Like that's the way we think. In the Eastern culture, which was the Jewish culture, which was Jesus' culture, they thought in terms of pictures. So Jesus, when he says, hey, God is forgiving, he doesn't say, here's a tract or here's four bullet points. What he says is, here's a story. There's a father, he had two sons. One of them misunderstood his love by thinking he had to obey him perfectly in order to be loved. Another son would rather have him dead. He went off. He spent everything he had on wild living. He returned. He deserved nothing. And Jesus defines the forgiving father through a story about a prodigal son who returns to his father and his father runs out to meet him. This is a picture. This is pre-word. This isn't, they don't learn things by reading pages so much as they watch pictures play themselves out. And when, I, when, you, when you begin to see this whole thing, I think Easter could take on a different meaning. Watch this in verse 20. When Aaron is finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He would put all of his weight on the goat. For 10 days, God has been pointing out to you your brokenness, your need for forgiveness, your unworthiness, all the ways you've offended other people in your life, all the ways you've let your wife or your husband or your kids, all of it. He's, he's been pointing all of that down to you. And now the high priest, his job is he is going to symbolically place it, put his weight upon the goat. It transfers. Now, there's another tradition that developed. Uh, the, the Jewish Mishnah, which was written by Jewish rabbis starting around the year AD 100, it, it records that there actually was a red leash and that the high priest at this point in the ceremony would take the leash and he'd form a crown with it. He'd create this circle and he would put the, the leash, <laughs> Bella's not going to like that so much, and put the leash on top of the goat's head. Now, now red, symbolic of blood, symbolic of judgment, symbolic of sin, the idea was that, that, again, we're further stressing, like, this should be me. It's going on the goat. This is my junk. It's going on the goat. Now, the Jewish Mishnah, this is crazy, uh, because it was written by Jewish rabbis who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They, they talk about that after that, they would take that leash, they would hang it on the front of the altar, and over the course of the next year, that altar would turn from red to white. White, of course, symbolic of holiness, of God's righteousness, of purity. But what the Mishnah says, again, this is crazy because th these guys didn't even believe in Jesus. But what, what, they, what the Mishnah says is that about 40 years before the destruction of the Jewish temple, the altar would still be hung on the, uh, the collar would still be hung on the altar. The leash would be still be hung on the altar. But about 40 years before the destruction of the Jewish temple, it ceased to turn white. Now for them, that was a commentary upon the fact that God had rejected the temple system, that it was defiled, it was corrupt. 
But some of you are already doing the math. 40 years before the Jewish temple was destroyed, the Jewish temple was destroyed in AD 70. That puts us back to AD 30. And those who understand stars and, and time are now saying that Jesus died in AD 30. In AD 30, the leash stopped turning white. That's my Jesus, right? See, there's this picture. God is going, I want you to take all your sin and put it on this goat. Now it continues. Uh, He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. And the man shall release it in the wilderness. Now there's a whole debate that follows in Jewish tradition because the text doesn't say who it should be. But if you're a Jewish person and Bella has all the sins of Israel on her, do you want anything to do with that goat? That's one loaded goat, right? (laughs) And so the tradition became that they would appoint a Gentile, someone who who wasn't associated with Israel or, or their God or their people, they would appoint a Gentile, and the Gentile would lead the scapegoat on, on a several-day journey out in the middle of nowhere. And out in the middle of nowhere was important because you don't want to see this goat walking around town tomorrow, right? Like, that would be bad. So what we need is a Gentile. And Bella's going, yes, mommy, please. <laughs> picture. What I want you to see now is how how the New Testament writers, how the early church, they understood this picture and they understood Jesus in light of this picture. John, uh, the the last apostle to to die, the one who did his writing the latest, the one who was was writing when when culture was most dangerous, when when he had to be most subversive and in the most subtle ways. Listen to what John says in chapter 19 because he picks this story up. And I think if you're a Torah observant Jew, which is who he's writing to, you would begin to go like, whoa. Then Pilate, he took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, a crown of thorns on the head of Jesus would create what? On his head. A circle of red blood. And you're going, well, by Adam, that's a stretch. Stick with me. There's a whole conversation that follows. You remember Pilate and the crowd, and there's this bantering that happens? And eventually, the crowd begins to scream. Do you remember what they scream? Listen to verse 15. I thought it was crucify him, didn't you? Listen to this. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Now, I'm I'm not a word expert, but those that are will say that the relationship of this Greek word translated take him away is the word scapegoat. So you've got Jesus with a red circle on his head and the crowd yelling, take him away. And then what follows? A Gentile. A Gentile leads him out of town. And you wonder, was John going, you guys, Jesus was the scapegoat. All of our sins placed on him. I'm watching, I watched the last day of atonement unfold right before my eyes. Now the author of Hebrews, he takes up the picture of the high priest and unpacks it a a little bit further. Now how many of you have this sense of like, does the dude get to blink? Like, how many have this sense of, like, that looks exhausting, wearisome, like, get the guy a chair? See, when you begin to get the sense of, does the guy ever get to sit down? Does he ever get to take a break? Does he ever get to rest? When you get that sense, you start to understand the Hebrew Scriptures. Because the Day of Atonement happens this year, 
But then it happens again next year. Why does it happen again next year? Because the people keep sinning. And when you begin to get the sense of like, wow, you mean we got to do this every day, every year? You, you mean over and over? When you begin to get that sense of like, give the guy a break, then you begin to understand the longing of the prophets in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, excuse me, for a once and for all redeemer. Because if we could offer a sacrifice and it would be done like once and for all, it is finished. I mean, I'll tell you what that would be. That, that'd be good news, right? Can the guy get a chair? You start to get that sense of what's going on here. Now watch this. this it, Hebrews is oftentimes so difficult to understand what's going on there, but this, this is, well, this will blow your mind. Now, it's tough sledding, so, but you're a smart bunch, but watch me here. The, or stick with me. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. See, the author is saying right out of the gates, hey, that whole deal, the scapegoat, the priest, the sacrifices, the over and over and over, the yearly rituals, the daily rituals, that's just uh, what one author calls, it's just a signpost. It's just pointing away, pointing ahead to something that's ultimately going to happen. It's not the real thing. It's just a picture of what the real thing will be. Listen to him continue. For this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? I mean, if they did, he could have sat down. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see the picture. Now watch this. Day after day, I'm in verse 11 now. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You, you can kind of sense the, the weariness of it, can't you? They're like, uh, over and over. And then watch, watch what the author does. But when this priest, Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And please don't miss this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, what the author's saying is the high priest sat down. It was finished complete. We don't have to do it anymore. So in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down. And I wonder if part of what we take from this whole Easter thing, part of what we take from, from the death and the resurrection, the cross and the empty tomb, I wonder if part of what we take from it is the next time you're reminded of your brokenness, the next time you feel inadequate, the next time you have this overwhelming sense of I'm not good enough, I don't deserve her or him or it or them or any of it. Once, once you have that sense of how broken and evil you are in your heart, once you have that sense of like, ugh, I just can never meet the standard. I wonder if the message of Easter is, wait, wait, wait a minute. The goat has left the building. It's gone, taken away. I wonder if the next time someone wants to remind you of your past, your brokenness, and they want to hold it against you and they want to pull you back into your past, I wonder if the message is, uh, excuse me, do you see a goat around here? I don't see one. It's gone. It's left. I wonder if our message to the world that is weighed down by shame and religious guilt 
I wonder if our message to the world is, hey, 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 good news, great news. In fact, we've created a whole movement around that title, good news. Hey, 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 there's no goat. It's gone. You're not defined by it anymore. It's not here. It's been taken away, cast aside. It's gone. See, the New Testament, the early church, those things that we struggle so mightily to understand, their objective was simply to understand that the story of Scripture is one of new creation, old being made new, garbage being made usable again, dirt being made holy. That the struggle of the Bible was, God, you're going to make us new. Someday, we don't have to do that anymore. The goat will eventually be gone forever. Listen to the way Paul, in, in what I think might be the, like, give me one book and I want this one just for theological purposes. In Galatians, in, in Galatians 2, listen to what Paul says. This is so incredibly important. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. That whole thing wasn't helping me anymore. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Parenthetically, Paul's going, hey, good news. The goat has left the building. And the struggle of the Christ follower isn't to figure out how do I earn it, it's how do I live in it. It's why Paul uses clothing language, putting on our identity. Listen to the way N.T. Wright, who is this brilliant theologian, listen to the way he says this. Go, Go ahead, next slide. He says, one must lose everything, including the memory of who one was before. And one must accept and learn to live by a new identity with a new foundation. The goat has left the building. The goat is gone. We have this statement we say as Christians, uh, we say, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm not even sure that the Bible makes that like theologically accurate language. Not according to scripture, you're not just a sinner. It uses words like saint, holy, perfect, righteous, sanctified. Not because you're perfect in the sense of your behavior, but because you're perfect because the goat took the sin and, and it took the identity and you've got Christ's identity now. Some would say that the reason that Christ followers are always telling one another what to do is because we've lost sight of who we are, and if we could remember who we are, we wouldn't have to spend so much energy telling each other what to do because our identity would flow into behavior. What if our message to the world is, hey, 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 God God knows. He he knows about the habit. He knows about the addiction. He knows about the abuse. He knows about the past. He, He knows about it. And I'm here to tell you, the goat has left the building. It's gone. So in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down. And I think it would be appropriate to celebrate the fact that he's seated. Don't you? In fact, I I think it would be appropriate for us to come out of our chairs when he does. See, we, 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 we celebrate the oddest things in our culture. Many of us spend hours and hours watching men in tight clothes run around a field. And when the one wearing the right shirt crosses the right line, we superman across the living room. We jump to our feet. We hug our spouses. We kiss our children. We high-five perfect strangers. I wonder if Easter is about celebrating the right things. I wonder if the festivals, if the Day of Atonement, if Yom Kippur, if the empty tomb, if the Easter tradition, I wonder if it's God understanding the importance of remembering Remembering that the goat has left the building, that who you are isn't defined by what you do, but by what Christ accomplished on those historic days. So in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down. 
And I think we should stand. And I think it should be accompanied by some noise, don't you? People learning to celebrate the right things. Listen, some of you, you've been giving a lot of things, a lot of talents. Pitch isn't one of them. Today's your day. We're going freestyle. Just pick the pitch and, and we won't care. Just, just go there. Like, you, you've got the whole noise thing. There's no talent in it whatsoever. This is your moment. Don't audition for the band. Just, just embrace these next 30 seconds. See, some of you, you, you come from these very dignified, you're very important, you're very proper, you're very put together in your business or in your home. But guess what? We're not in your business, are we? We're not in your home. Some of you, are, I'm, I'm one of you, you're, you're a part of the frozen chosen. The, the hallelujah, hallelujah. Like, that's your idea of celebrating Jesus. <laughs> for 30 seconds, we're going to ask you to convert. If just for a moment. Because in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down because that's what Jesus is doing. He's seated, waiting for all things to get put under his feet. But he has nothing left to do. All the sacrifice that needs to be offered, that can be offered, has been offered. He said it simply, it is finished. In a minute, the high priest is going to sit down and we're going to leap to our feet and we're going to make a joyful but untalented noise. And the ushers are going to bring communion elements, some over here, some over here, because Jesus on the night he was betrayed said, hey guys, whenever you gather, break bread, eat it, be reminded of my body broken for you, drink wine, Welch's hadn't been born yet, drink wine, it's my blood poured out for you. And so in a minute, we're, we're, the high priest is going to sit down and the communion elements are going to be up here. And after we've stood and raised a ruckus, we're going to continue to give you a chance to worship Jesus on Easter. That the tomb is empty. That the goat has left the building. That who you are isn't defined by what you've done, but by what Christ has accomplished. So in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down. But before he does... I think it would be appropriate in honor of the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Messiah, I think it would be appropriate that we just let him walk in silence from here to there. And maybe as he walks, you use that silence to remember the first time it all made sense for you. The first time you understood that your identity isn't defined by what you've done, but by who Christ is. Maybe you use that silence to remember and reclaim the joy that used to be yours. Reclaim that, that who you are is in Christ. Maybe, maybe you walked in the door carrying something and you've let it define you. And it's all you can think about is the mistake, the, the addiction, the problem, the whatever. Maybe as the high priest walks in silence, you, you use that time to surrender that back to the Lord. So in a minute, the high priest is going to sit down and we're going to celebrate because Easter's about celebrating the right things. And then we'll sing and take some communion. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's not very reassuring. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Let's do this. like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.